So we've been talking about finances. Woohoo! First time ever in my entire life I've um, been preaching a series on finances um, to see how you can grow a church by preaching on finances, and that's really good. Um, but I just felt the Lord say and very clearly to me that this was an important time to actually be sharing this because he's about to do something. And this is very key. And I think a lot of the time we share about all the other stuff, but this is actually key in every one of our lives if we are to fulfill what God's called us to do. Can I say this categorically? You cannot fulfill the mandate over your life without finances. You cannot fulfill the call of God and the reach to the nations and to disciple the nations and people without finances. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sin. Yes, he did. And he died for your sickness. Yes, he did. And he also died for your scarcity so that you would no longer have lack but have an abundance so that you could fulfill the mandate and the purpose that God's called you. Amen. So we've walked a little bit of a journey and uh, basically in terms of our lives on this planet until Jesus comes again, there are basically two kingdoms. I hate to call the kingdom of darkness a kingdom. I don't really like, because any kingdom there's a king, and so I'm nervous to call the devil a king, but anyway, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness on this earth, and you either establish and build yourself on one or the other kingdom, right? In the one kingdom, in the kingdom of darkness, there are two kingdoms, uh, the one kingdom with two uh, platforms, the one platform is religion. Trust me, and when you get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right, the religion is straight from the pit to hell. It is so opposed to God's nature and who he is, and it is so not the kingdom of God. So you have religion, and then you have a political system, humanism, where people elevate themselves. We're here, they try and make look, look like they're elevating God, but actually they're also elevating themselves. The kingdom of darkness, everything is about self. The kingdom of heaven, everything is about Jesus. It's built and founded on the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we get transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, we get transferred into a kingdom of incredible light, incredible favor, incredible blessing, and then everything there rests on Christ. And when we talk about Christ, we talk about his lordship. So everything in terms of the kingdom is a heart issue, and it's about lordship. We must understand this if you understand finances. Anything that you build on that, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. Any other blessing comes with a whole bunch of sorrow, right? So as people of God, we're after his lordship, his rule and reign, establishing ourselves on his kingship. And as we do that, he will make rich and it will add no sorrow. And when I say rich, what I mean is that God will fulfill and give you everything that you need for the mandate that he has called you to. So when we find out the purposes and the plans of God, we run after those hard, provision is always there. Over this church is a mandate of the apostolic, of reaching out to nations, and we got an opportunity, the door was flung open to go to Zambia, and the, and the finances were there for Zambia. Amen. That doesn't mean if I'm looking over here and thinking, okay, I want that, I want that, I want that, that God must just now stamp, rubber stamp that. He'll fulfill everything that you've called, he's called you to, because he is Lord. 
So what he says goes. What he says we make as a highest priority, whatever, how he thinks and what he says. That's just exactly how Jesus did it as well. People go, no, but you know, our opinions are very valuable. Yes, they may be to you, but my opinion is not very valuable to me. Because I'm following after the steps of my Jesus, and my Jesus said I do nothing other than what my Father. See, in the church today, our opinions matter far too much. All we were called to do is find out his opinion and follow it. In fact, it's not even an opinion, it's his word. And uh, it's just to honor him and place him as lordship when I listen to his word and I just follow his word. Amen. So we've been trying to unpack that word, trying to figure out what it means to us, how it all works out. And uh, the ways that I've been looking at it too is to first and foremost, we've looked at the tithe. I didn't go into the tithe in too much detail. You're welcome to uh, ask me any questions about that. But I, I did share about the tithe a couple of weeks back, quite a long time ago. And then the first session, I tried to touch on the tithe too. And I just simply wanted us to put the tithe into a place where it's simply honoring God. It's putting him in his rightful place of honor over our lives. It's shifting everything else into a place of lordship, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and the rest gets added. What's interesting about the, the, what the Bible kind of tries to help us is that Jesus said the kingdom of God is not over here, the kingdom of God is not over there, the kingdom of God is within us. So the kingdom of God is not material things, the kingdom of God is inside here, right? When Jesus um, when they were praying uh, for the sick, when he prayed for the lepers, and he sent out the uh, 70, he would always say, pray for the sick, and then when they get healed, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. Or when they were arguing about Jesus, uh, um, he cast out demons via Beelzebub, and Jesus said, how can the kingdom be divided? How can you cast Beals above cast out. He said, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come now unto you, right? So what? in the kingdom of God, there's no sickness, right? In the kingdom of God, there's no demonic influence. As we come and as we release and as we lay hands, as we bring the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God comes and has an encounter with this uh, kingdom or the, or, or the natural, then the kingdom of God is always superior and it brings about its authority and its rule and reign in that area, right? Easy to understand, easy to see in terms of the demonic, easy to see in terms of sickness. The unseen realm coming and putting pressure onto the seen realm and the unseen realm uh, causing the seen realm to bow. Same understanding with finances. If you can understand that the kingdom of God, there is no lack in the kingdom of God. There is abundance in the kingdom of God. When Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, he's talking about abundance. We shared a beautiful scripture. Let me read it again just so we know. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to turn there while I'm talking. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. What God is looking for is abundance, right? Let me just read it again. This is such a beautiful one. We just went over it. I wasn't concentrating on it, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may 
abound in every good work. That should be something we just study it, learn it, and just declare it, believe it, walk in it over our lives all the time. God is able to make all grace abound to you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. Beautiful scripture and an analogy of the kingdom of God. There's abundance, there's provision, there's blessing in the kingdom of God, and God wants that released over his people. God wants his people to be surrounded in that. God wants his people to live in that. And you've got the two opposites. On the one side, we've got people who are, and it's very important in the culture that we live in, even today, even in South Africa, it's hugely elevated in, in certain circles where your wealth and your possessions and how much money you've got is an is a analysis to your spirituality. We know there's nowhere in the Bible that uh, that can be found. So we know that's just a lie and it's just deception and it's demonic. On the other side, we have got people that think that by being spiritual, it means to walk in a, a, a level of poverty or or, um, or lack, or, or, or you can't really have anything and don't want to actually display anything that looks marvelous because um, we're spiritual, so we, we must show that we, you know, we give everything away. and we, well, That's also demonic, and it's an absolute lie. See, with this spirit, the enemy, that spirit is not trying to kill you. That spirit is simply trying to keep your head slightly underwater so that you can be the best evangelist for that demonic way of thinking. See, the Bible, it's the truth. We go back to the truth. The truth declares to us that we're not meant to be accumulating, building, and, 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 and it's not a display of our spirituality. Our spirituality is connected the natural and the, and the spiritual realm is connected, but not in that way. God wants to display his goodness and his splendor and his glory in what we're called to do in everything that we do. We live in the abundance and the blessing of the Lord, right? Have we got this? So we cannot be walking after our own will, our own ways, and expecting God to just breathe and bless it. God is an abundant God. We, we've seen, we've looked into heaven. God showed us and displayed us the splendor and the abundance of God, Right? If you, any of us here today have a problem with wealth and we need to go to heaven, have a good look at it, whatever, and say something is seriously wrong with heaven and we need to be praying, interceding for the Father to get his act together in heaven. Come on, there's abundance in heaven. There's a, I mean, I've shared it before and I've popped veins trying to talk about the pearls that just the gates are one pearl and what kind of oyster pops that sucker out. But the reality is there's gold. It's just a display. There's gems. It's just God's lavishly displaying who he is, friends. But we must come to an understanding and a reality down here on earth as to what he's called us to because this is just a short time. This is not our home. And if what he's called us to here is just to display our lavishness, friends, then we're never going to get the job done, right? So some people are called to live on the hill in the palace, 
And that's awesome because they have a sphere of influence and the purpose and the plan that God's called them to is to connect and meet with people that I will never ever meet with and to bring the kingdom and to bring the advancement of God and they can talk the right language and they can talk into the spheres and they can bring authority and do all that God's called them to do there. There's also people way down over here that maybe in their little sphere of influence are really uh, have nothing of that, friends, but those guys are not meant to be comparing and not trying to be fighting to, and then we, people are not meant to be preaching up here, and if you will do this, this, and this, then we can take you from there to there. Can we break that mindset? The kingdom of God has never been about that. Kingdom of God is about provision and blessing for you and what God's called you to do and to fulfill everything that he has for you in your life. And in that, friends, there's abundance, there's overflow. There's always more than enough. Amen? Okay, I hope I've got that down because I want to share a couple of maybe little key things. I want to, I first want to just talk about honor. I'm going to talk about honor. Tithing has got to do with honor, friends. If you go to um, Luke chapter four, let me go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four is just a story about uh, Jesus and uh, um, what's very interesting here, let me just give you a quick analogy and then bring it, is it's very interesting here that the spirit of God, uh, Jesus goes, gets baptized by John the Baptist, he comes out of the water, the spirit of God comes upon him, uh, he is anointed by the spirit of God and then the spirit of God, the Bible says, leads him into the wilderness. The Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness, an interesting one, which we battle to get our heads around, but the Spirit of God leads him into a wilderness. Can I say this to you categorically today? The Spirit of God will never lead you into a wilderness unless there's a promised land on the other side. Because there's something important that happens in the wilderness that you need in the promised land. So the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness, friends. And he leads him into the wilderness and he has an encounter with the enemy. And as he has an encounter with the enemy, he resists the enemy, overcomes the enemy. And then the Bible says that he comes out in the power of God. Authority, friends, comes in the commission. But power comes in the encounter. Every single one of you has been given authority. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Now Go. I've got my authority, friends, but now a power, friends, comes in my encounter. Jesus is led into the wilderness to take on the enemy. There are two realities in the word of God which we must understand if we are to walk into journey into all that God's got for us and into our promised land. The first reality is at the tree. There are two trees in the very beginning. There will always be two trees in your life. There are two trees, and when the enemy came and he tried to entice Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit, what did he do? He challenged the word. He said, did God actually say, friends? Whenever God gives you a word, it attracts conflict. And that word will be challenged. And if you misunderstand it, you'll wobble. But if you understand it, friends, you will grow in strength and power. 
because it's come to test the word, not you. The Bible says the persecutions and difficulties, remember the parable of the sower? They came because of the word's sake. But the first reality in our lives is to understand when Jesus speaks and declares, when the word of God declares promises over our lives, then the attack will come because of the word. And then the word is then tested in our lives, whether we believe it, how strong we are in that word. And then how many know that you won't know any of that unless there is some resistance, unless there is some attack? See, every single one of us think we have the fruits of the spirit, as long as there's no people around, right? Of course I have the fruits of the Spirit. I'm so patient, it's magnificent. Okay, let's just bring some people who drive me nutty for me to test whether that's actually my reality. And I find out, no, okay, no patience, God, no patience, right? So the, ha- the word has to be tested. We have to come under attack. Friends, you can't have a victory without a battle. So God takes you into a wilderness because he wants you to win. He didn't take Jesus into the wilderness to say, okay, let's see here, this could go either way, I'm just. You see, his desire for Jesus was to walk in power. Remembering that he is the son of God, but he's also the son of man and he never accessed his son of God. He had to walk like we walk. He went into the desert, as the son of man that he had to walk like we walked and get anointed from heaven. And, uh, and then as he walked into that battlefield, it was so that he could win the victory so that he could come out with power. Come on, you've got to read Psalm 23 a whole lot differently. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want him. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Yoo-hoo. But he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, okay. Hold on a minute. There was nice waters and there was grass. Now there's a valley. What's the point? The Lord prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're on a journey. As we're journeying along, oh, there's nice water, yummy nourishment and everything. Oops, a little bit of a valley comes a valley, what does God say? Hold on, in the midst of the valley, Jesus is over there, lack of table, nice blessing. I'm sitting on the other side in the midst of my enemies while they're looking on. There is an opportunity and a moment in the middle of the valley for me to have an intimate encounter with him that I cannot have anywhere else. See, he leads me into the wilderness. There's an opportunity for me to nourish and get blessed and to have an encounter with God that I can't have anywhere else. I can't know the victory, I can't know the success, I can't know the triumph that God does inside of me unless I'm in the battle, unless I'm fighting the fight, unless I'm walking through the things that he's called me to because I'm walking through. I'm not camping and I'm not staying there, but I'm walking through it. When I walk through it, he wants me to come out in power. So what does he do with the children of God? With the children of God, he takes them into the wilderness. And they own nothing. Why? Because when they came out, they came out with all the gold and the silver and the precious stones and everything of Egypt. 
and they made it into a golden calf. Whenever the provision of God comes, you have a choice in your life to make it a golden calf or to make it for the purposes and the plans of the kingdom of God. And one day, you and I might not think it now, I might not make it important now, but one day it'll be very, very important because you will stand before him and you will be judged. And you'll be judged on your obedience to what you did with what he gave you. It's that simple. Amen. So you always have the opportunity to make a golden calf. So God came, brought them out with the blessings and the abundance of Egypt and they made a golden calf. The story doesn't end there. Because God's still a lavish, amazing God. So he continues to journey with them, but now they own nothing. They don't have anything. So they're not owners of anything and they have no way of helping themselves. So they journey in this journey, owning nothing, no way of helping themselves. So God's got to be the nourishment to them. So God's training them. He's teaching them every single day. He's giving them manna, this lovely word that just talks about heavenly provision from God every single day. And every single time he provides the manna, there are some people that will come along and they go, you know what? I want to sleep in tomorrow. So let me gather enough today for tomorrow. And God says, if you gather for tomorrow, the worms will eat it. And every single day we have people born every day in this world who think that they will just gather enough for tomorrow and the worms keep eating it. But when it came to the Lord's day, then he said you can gather enough so that on the Lord's day you can do don't do anything except worship and love me and the food lasted two days. I'll give you something. It's not something wrong with the food, friends. It wasn't that the food needed some more GMO or whatever or something to make it last longer and the, the worms got it. It lasted longer when God said it lasted because the bottom line is they were learning something. It's called trust. So in that whole thing, friends, they, they couldn't go to the shops or anything. So I've got the same shirt I wore when I came out of Egypt. Think about it. I had the same shoes when I came out of Egypt. I had the same pants. And they never wore out for 40 years. Dear God, I hope they bathed. But <laughs> suddenly had a picture. But God provided for them and it was wonderful. They didn't own anything, but his provision was there. But there was a whole point to the wilderness. You know what the point to the wilderness was? The promised land. And when they came out of the wilderness and they stepped into the promised land, God could now give them their own and entrust to them so they could walk in that in the abundance of the blessing and they could stay in the promised land. See, that's the problem. See, if you don't walk through the wilderness and through that journey where you learn to trust him, then when he does give you what's your own, friends, the ability to stay there See, the prodigal son, he did not have an ability to stay there. He had to return back to the father's house. Let me share a couple of things. In Mark chapter 10, it's an amazing story um, about the rich young ruler. We get caught up in this story because the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says to him, okay, Lord, I want this. 
what must I do? And Jesus says, okay, you know, you need to follow the Ten Commandments or these commandments and then those and whatever. And yeah, I've done all of this. It's all good, whatever. And then Jesus, okay, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And we go, whew. So all the oaks, depending which way you swing, go, you see what God's saying. Sell everything, follow him. That's what he's talking about. And you carry on reading in the same chapter and you find out that Jesus says, because obviously the disciples jump on the bandwagon as well. And they also go, hey, but we've given everything to you. What do we get? And he says something very interesting. He actually says, um, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff trying to get it in its rightful order. But he talks about, he uses an analogy about uh, two um, uh, lepers and um, Mark chapter 10. Go to Mark chapter 10. Lepers and um, I think it's widows. Let me, let me teach it to you. So, so he says, there were a whole bunch of widows in Israel. But he went to a widow at Zarephath to bless her. That means outside of Israel. And there were a whole bunch of lepers. But he went to Nahum, a Syrian captain outside of Israel, to heal him of leprosy. There's something in the dynamic that God's trying to explain to us. It's not, he's not talking about the rich young ruler needs to sell everything. Because let's go jump to another story. Let's look at the story of Zacchaeus. The story of Zacchaeus is he comes and he says, I want, uh, Jesus says, I want to come visit you. And he goes to his home, to Zacchaeus' home. And Zacchaeus is so excited that Jesus has come to visit him, come to make his home and be with him, that he says, listen, I'm going to give away half of my goods to the poor. And Jesus stands up and says, no, no, buddy, listen, I've just spoken to the rich young ruler. You don't give half, give all. Sorry, if you don't know the Bible, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> I'm just giving you the example. He doesn't shoot down Zacchaeus. You have another illustration in the Bible of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I don't know if you know, but if you study the historical accounts and understanding of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were very wealthy. Mary took a whole year's wages of ointment and poured it out on Jesus' feet. A whole year's wages. She's pretty wealthy. Everywhere when Jesus was traveling, he would go and stay with them. There's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus grabbed hold of them and said, listen, you guys, you need to sell everything. What's the point that I'm trying to make? The point that I'm trying to make is Jesus, Luke chapter four. It's, you all had Luke chapter four, right? Luke chapter four. You thought I'd forgotten about Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. If we go back to Luke chapter four, here's what Jesus this will pull all those stories together. In Luke chapter four, you can start even from verse 17 or 18. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, what we have heard. That sounded good. Um, let me skip, skip all the rest. Here's the picture. Jesus stands up there, takes the word of God, and he begins to declare the word of God. Remembering the understanding of where we're at right now, there's been 400 years of silence, nothing. Worst drought in the prophetic word of God ever in the history of man. There was 400 years, they've not heard anything. Now he stands up, he takes the book of Isaiah, he opens it up and he begins to speak. The word of God begins to speak the word of God. And he begins to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. There is an anointing, there's a power upon him. And as he declares the word, what they do is they marvel and they go, wow, the spirit of God's hitting their hearts. And they're going, wow, this is amazing. Whatever, It's a great opportunity right now to receive the word of the Lord now and to allow God to do a work in their hearts and lives. But suddenly if they're going, oh, did you feel, do you feel that? Wow, powerful, awesome. I love all of this, whatever. There's an opportunity and suddenly they go, What's, who's this guy again? He's, because now remember, he's speaking in his hometown. And suddenly they go, oh, I know who he is. I grew up with him. He's Joseph's son. He's the guy who was next to me. He was the three houses down guy. See, and Jesus picks this up. And he suddenly realizes that they had an opportunity right now. But what did they do? They dishonored him. Suddenly he's just a guy down the the road. Suddenly he's just from Nazareth. And that's why those stories, hey, there were a lot of widows, but I had to go outside of Israel because they wouldn't honor me for who I was. There was a whole bunch of people that could have got healed, but I went and healed them outside because there was no honor. You see, so when we come and we honor God, it gives us access. Are we catching this? The kingdom of God. It's about honor. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's about a king. How many of you know? Have we, have we forgotten? I know it's not Christmas yet, but I'm gonna give you a quick Christmas story. I'm gonna tell you right now that a long, long time ago, there were a bunch of magi. We don't know. They were rulers. They were people of authority. They could have been kings, whoever they were. There's nowhere where it says there were three of them. There was a whole bunch of them, and the historians will tell you there's about 600 of them. But they were busy checking out things and working things out because they loved to study whatever. They were involved with all those things and particularly astronomy and the stars, whatever. And they found out and they declared that there was a king that was gonna be born. And these guys took all that they had and all the whole entourage of all the people and they grabbed it and they went trekking across the whole planet to find the star and to find the king that was born. That's the king that we're talking about. Because they understood something that we've lost. What they understood, friends, is that there was a king. And they knew that what you do with a king, friends, is you always come in, what do you do? What's the protocol with a king? You always bring a gift with a king. Because you come and you always honor a king. But what was fascinating about Jesus' story is he's a little baby.
You see, kings always honored other kings. Queen of Sheba came to King Solomon, and she brought this whole bunch of, of gifts. You know why? Number one, protocol with a king you always bring. Number two, the protocol, your gift always declares how, what your feeling is about the king. And then when, whenever you come and you bring a gift, what it does is place the onus on the king because a king has to out-give what he's given. See, we forget Jesus is king because we got saved. But you see, when we stand before him, he is king, friends. And these whole guys who gave us a beautiful example, not just a Christmas story, a beautiful example, they trekked across the whole country. Friends, they had a whole bunch of stuff, friends. Just because it says they gave them gold, frankincense, and myrrh doesn't mean they gave them this little joy. Here, well, here's some frankincense. Thank you. Here's a little, a little thing of gold. Here's a little pile here. Oops, don't touch it. And, and then here's a little bit of myrrh. They came with 600 people and they lavished him because he was king. And normally in ownership for a king, so the king would lavish, there would have to be an understanding of this king's worth. He's a baby for goodness sake. I don't know his worth. I don't know what he's gonna do when he grows up, whatever. I don't even know if he's gonna give me any of my money back. If you understand the culture of what they were living in, they honored a little baby because he was worth more as a baby than he would if any other king that had lived a lifetime. There was something about an honoring here with a little child that they did and they laid everything down at his feet, friends. The protocol and understanding, friends, is that what I give to him is a representative of what I think about him. He's Lord. You bring your one-eyed little half a donkey to the Lord. That's what you think about the Lord. Come on, this is in the word of God. I'm not trying to be horrible to anybody. I'm trying to explain the word of God. How we get warped in an understanding about tithing, friends, when it's simply honor. How we get warped in understanding about gifts. We're talking about Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 600 people would travel across a whole planet to come to him, to just worship him and to honor him, friends. Giving us a beautiful illustration, understanding. They were kings themselves, friends. And they came and they laid everything down at his feet, and honored him. And we come to our king, and we wanna honor him. We wanna give him his rightful place. Seek first the kingdom of God, the rest gets added. The kingdom of God's not here, there, everywhere. The kingdom of God is within us. It's about our heart. Three John two. Beloved, I pray that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Something about our, our soul that's connected to as my soul is prospering, kingdom of God is prospering in my life, friends. It has some effect on my health. It has effect on my ability to uh, uh, work with finances, live with finances, live with abundance, live with the blessing of the Lord. Right? I'm jumping around a little bit because there's so much here and I wanted to actually try and land it today, but. Hmm. I wish I could help us with all the little things. It's like 
what there's this phrase that's going around at the moment, it's called unsanctified mercy. What unsanctified mercy simply means is mercy with, that you show that God does not show. What it simply means is that if, we, if the rich young ruler was in the church today, as he turned away very sad, most of the church would have showed him unsanctified mercy. We said, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. Don't. Jesus was being a little harsh there. Let me, let me help you. Let me explain to you a little bit. Let me just tell you. Don't, not all, just maybe, you know, I would consider a good deposit, a good this or that would be helpful. And when God's on a journey, friends, and he's after this man's salvation and after his heart and after his life. And sometimes we get involved in a whole bunch of this and we stop God from working and processing what he's called to do because anything that God is working and process, friends, is for the promised land. No matter what wilderness, whatever difficulty you're going through, I wanna challenge you here today and it's a opportunity for you and I to step into the provision and the blessing of God and for to shape and mold us so that we can operate and live in the promised land. In uh, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is busy um, uh, going about ministering and what have you, and then Herod grabs hold of John the Baptist, puts him in prison, uh, and then gets him beheaded, and the news comes to Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist was his cousin, and he was also the forerunner, somebody whom Jesus loved. Can you imagine that news? I was like, really? I'm busy ministering and processing now, and it just cuts me to the heart, and I'm just, so what does Jesus do? He draws aside. He draws the side and he spends some time with God. You see, you need to come and you need to get the focus and focus down at those times, friends. Not all the time. Sometimes we can do a whole bunch of stuff and life is busy and we're doing a whole lot of things. But sometimes the enemy comes in and he tries to do something, friends. You have to draw aside. You have to stop everything else and you have to concentrate and zero in on God. Why? Because we, it's a great opportunity right now for you to be vindicated. Because our God is a God of vindication. So we draw aside now, we're going to press in like this, and then the crowds followed, found out where he was, and when the crowds came, what did it say? Jesus, filled with compassion, healed all of them. You tell me, John the Baptist, you kill one, I'll heal a whole bunch. Then the crowds press in again, and he's, he's ministering, feeding, doing all awesome things, and then he sends them off, and he draws aside back up on the mountain. There's a picture here that I'm trying to paint uh, that I think we need to see. Do you remember I, I told you about the uh, the um, landlord who uh, went out in the morning and hired a guy and paid him a denarius a day and then came back three hours later, paid, uh, employed that guy all the way till the 11th hour. So he employed, some guy worked 12 hours, some guy worked nine hours, some guy worked six hours, some guy worked three hours, some guy worked one hour. Wouldn't you have thought that you would have gone to the guys that worked 12 hours and you would have said, okay, you guys get paid, okay, you go. And then, and you would have gone that way, wouldn't you have thought that? Jesus says, listen, I'm gonna start where? I'm gonna start with a guy that just worked one hour. Because the Bible says something, it says the least shall be first and the first shall be last. 
It's not being derogatory and he's not trying to be negative. He's trying to explain something. It's in the same context. So he makes the guy that's worked 12 hours watch the guy who's worked one hour and he's going, okay, he got a denarius. So if he got a denarius, okay, look at that. I reckon I must be getting quite a lot of denarius then. He got 100 bucks, I'm gonna probably get 12, 1200. And the other guy comes along, he works three hours, he also gets a denarius. Well, okay, it's fine, it's okay, he's, he's been kind. That's still three hours, that still gives me quite a lot. He goes all the way up and then he gets to him who's worked 12 hours and he said, yeah, you also get a denarius. Was Jesus trying to be cruel? Saying, I'm making those oaks watch how I'm just being lavish with all these other guys. Jesus was not being cruel, friends. He was watching to see what that guy would do. That was his moment. If he could celebrate, if you can celebrate while you are just getting wages, when somebody else is getting lavish extreme grace. If you can celebrate your brother who's not even doing everything right, ex receive extreme grace, you just put up your hand for a hundredfold. See, the wilderness, friends, is about you living in the promised land. And God says, I wanna give you a hundredfold. What does he say? Same context, he says this. He says, everybody that's given up father, mothers, brothers, sisters, lands, for my sake, will receive in this life a hundredfold plus, just by the way, persecutions. I call that tax. The more money you earn, the more you get taxed. This persecution. But the reality is, understand this simple truth, friends, today. This is the reality of what I'm talking about. Jesus is telling this rich young ruler, give up, sell everything. The next minute he's saying, anybody who's given up everything, you will get a, a whole lot back. It seems like he's telling this guy, money is not lacquer. And it's very dangerous. And then it seems like he's saying, but I'm gonna give you a whole bunch of this dangerous stuff. Right? We've gotta understand what he's trying to say here. He's trying to tell us, it's not the money, it's the lordship. It's the rule, it's the love. To first commandment, last commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20. Thou shall have no other gods before me. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say, listen, I'm building my bride, yeah? I'm building my wife, yeah? I want my wife to have her full attention, full contentment, full love, full lavishness. I am her everything. I can't have her desiring or loving anything else. It must be me, nothing before me. And then he comes to the end and he says, thou shall not covet. Covet means desire. When you pull them two together, what he's simply saying is that what, when is a desire evil? When does a desire go wrong? Because we're allowed to have desires, right? It goes wrong, friends, when this goes wrong. If you put the two together, when that becomes your contentment, when that becomes higher than what God's called you to do, when that becomes higher than, than who he is, that's when it goes out of kilter. Why? Because he's Lord. 
He's king of every single thing, right? So the point in the whole Bible, the point about provision, the point about blessing, the point about finances has all got to do with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not trying to withhold anything from us. He's trying to cause us to live in the fullness of all that, he's, that we were called to do because he designed and he created us and the best place to be is in his will and the best place to walk in the provision and the blessing of God is his purpose. So he's trying to say, if you will live in my will, if you live in my purpose, I will lavishly bless you. You'll be, there'll be abundance. You will be surrounded. You'll be overflow. There'll just be the goodness of God all over you. You don't have to look to the right or the left. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. Just worry about fulfilling what I've called you to do and making sure I'm Lord. Right? So finances, friends, are not something that we go after as a focus because if you go after it as a focus, then it comes with sorrow. Lordship is what we go after as a focus. And in that lordship, friends, I'm, I'm saying it categorically, you can go study the Bible and find out for yourself, but in simple terms, in terms of lordship, the first thing I do with anything that I receive is that I've got to set aside what is his which is the first 10%, it's the tithe, it's simple, it's, his, it's the honoring of Jesus and putting him in his rightful place so that we, can, he, we now have access because of honor. Opens the windows of heaven, God can pour out a blessing, all those lovely things that are in Malachi, yes, they're in the Old Testament, they get transferred through the cross. Having done that now, friends, he gives me the authority in the, over 90% of my income. And as I go with 90% of my income, he tells me that 90% of my income has got to do with seed and has got to do with bread. Some I eat, some I sow. What's the portion? Leave that to God. And where can I sow it? Wherever you want your heart's desire and your love is. He gives you a couple of hints in the Bible. He says a good place to sow it is to the poor or to the proclamation and the declaration of the gospel. So we look at those two things, most places, ministries, people that are involved in one of those areas. So you can, but you can give to whoever you want in terms of that to God. And then God begins to speak to you and he loves a cheerful heart as a man purposes in his heart. It's not about a compulsion, about forcing anybody. It's about just saying, hey, I think I'll do this or I think I'll do that. And then God begins to declare to you what you can eat. And how many know it's wrong to eat seed and it's wrong to plant bread, Right? And the seed has got to do with your future harvest. So I position myself in God as him as king and lord over my life. Now that I have access into him and whatever I plant, he begins to breathe on me. What happened in the, in, um, the promised land, what happened in the promised land is they went and they planted. The same crops they'd always planted. But when they planted those crops, God breathed on it and it did a multiplication and had a far greater return than they'd ever, ever seen in their entire lives. That's the kingdom. So I position myself as Lord, he's now Lord, then I begin to sow, and as I begin to sow, I begin to reap abundantly. And then Bible begins to ask, in that context, because I can close this up and not have to preach another uh, around on this, the Bible then says to us, as we begin to sow, in that context, it says, listen, that, that which a man sows, will he reap? God's not mocked. There is an understanding. We've got to be careful with grace when the guys get to extreme grace and they go, we want to just live in that place where we just reap where we have not sown. The reality is you can reap where you have not sown because that's the grace of God, but the principle still remains the same. We are not blowing raspberries to farmers and to people who are spending their lives sowing, but the children of God, we don't have to sow. We, we just reap wherever we want. Come on, let's, let's use our beautiful, blessed, 
brains to understand that God has put in a principle and he says the measure with which you sow is a measure that it comes back to you. Now you get principles understanding that sometimes, friends, you can just do something and God will lavishly just bless because he's sovereign. And that's why I'm talking about how we need to celebrate the extreme grace of God while we are simply getting wages. Because your season could come in and you could get the extreme grace of God. But when you do that, friends, you position yourself for a hundredfold return. Can you imagine that? Imagine living in that place where you're sowing and getting a hundredfold return. Wow. It's just awesome. So I'm trying to encourage us here that there is a journey. If you take your teaspoon and you give it to God, he will give you back in teaspoons. If you take your shovel and you shovel, God will shovel it back. If you go and find a grader and you give it to God with a grader, he will give you graders loads back. Now, that might not go down well in the university of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that is the kingdom of God. That's how he operates, friends, and it's about honoring him, putting him in his rightful place, and letting him be Lord. And as you do that, watch God supply every single one of your needs. And then watch him do above and beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine. We, got a, we had a word, I don't know if you caught it, but we had a word from Max. And there's a little truth in that word, is that when there comes a whole lot of fear, insecurities, and doubts around finances, it shuts down creativity. God, we were always meant to be creative. But you see, when we don't fear, we don't worry about finances, when we put those all aside, well, you Lord, you're king, I trust in you, you're my provision. Creativity is there, God begins to cause me to be creative and begin to think of things and do stuff, friends, and finances just begin to flow into my creative world. And then whatever he's called me to do in that creativity, friends, the provision of God will always supply everything that I need. And then there's not only that, but there's an abundance because we love to bless others as well. So I've been sharing this about how we need to celebrate one another. Celebrate whatever God's doing in each other's lives because that's part of the journey. So wherever you are right now in your life, if God's got you in a difficult situation, then he wants to, because every time your faith is challenged is an opportunity for God to vindicate. Every time your faith is challenged. So if you're in a situation now where your faith challenge is like, come on, it's an opportunity now for God to vindicate. Why? Opportunity for the kingdom of God to come. In the kingdom of God, there's no lack. In the kingdom of God, there's no sickness. In the kingdom of God, there's no demonic. So I've got to invite him in. But to invite him in, friends, often I've got to be quiet and draw aside. You can't be juggling everything in that, at that time. You need to, to zero in on God. I want to hear his voice and what he's called me to do. Not, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do that. No, that's the time to be quiet, to invite him in now, to vindicate, for him to come in and to lavishly bring the presence and the power of God to supply all that you need to do what God's called you to do. See, Paul, we understand with Paul, and I've shared this before with, with Philip and the Philippians, but we understand that he was writing it from jail. My God shall supply all my needs. But he said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to abound. Don't throw that out. I've learned to abound. That means I've learned to like a caviar. Whew, it's beautiful. But I've also learned to have nothing. It's not the 
the lot or the little. It's the contentment in God. Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. Amen. The challenge, and I'll just throw this out. I haven't got time, and you can just go and study it. When we read scriptures um, um, like 1 um, Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and it talks about a little warning to do with rich people, and it says a warning with rich people because um, it's careful they don't put their trust in the wealth. The key there is the trust. The key there has been a shift of the eyes from God to money, and there's a trust in money. So there's a warning. He then goes on and he warns a little bit further and he says, listen, I wanna tell you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like it's hard as for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. There's a warning again there. If you go study this and you understand in Mark chapter 10, same illustration, it adds a little extra thing there. It says, those that trust in riches. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he talking about? He's talking about a rich man that trusts in riches. Because if you trust in riches, how do you enter the kingdom of the king? You're not even given him his rightful place. If you haven't honored the king, how do you enter into the kingdom of God? This is not salvation, it's the kingdom. How do you enter in the kingdom when you're king? So the point in a lot of those illustrations has all got to do with trust. God's simply positioning us as a church and saying, if you will position yourself and you will trust me. If you allow me, whatever you're going through, that difficult time, just to bring you to a place of trust. Even though right now you feel like all I do is do miracles. Friends, if you're in that place right now, it's not a bad place. I'm just explaining the place that you're in so you understand. The attack comes for the word. The word's got to stand strong, friends, but the word will lead you into the promised land. The reality is that attack comes right now, and maybe you feel like it's just one miracle after the other that's just sustaining you, keeping you. Stay in the lane that God's called you to to. And as you let him build and you let him speak to you, he's developing you for the promised land. Not so that you stay there, but you step into that where now he's gonna give you what you own and there's gonna be increase. There are four things in the kingdom of God. There's generosity, there's contentment, there's excellence, and there's increase. Generosity, contentment, excellence, increase. God's process. He develops us in that place where we develop our hearts, where we trust him, we become humble, we become yielded, we become generous people. So I'm generous in God, then I become content in whatever he's doing, so I'm not after now, my focus is on the Lordship of Jesus, I'm not after wealth, I'm not getting distracted, I'm after what he's doing, and then there's excellence in whatever he gives me, because that's all the different parables in the Bible, every single part of them was about doing something excellent. Whatever you've been given, whatever you've been entrusted, whatever you've been, is your sphere of influence, do it with excellence. Even your finances, do it with excellence. And then on top of that comes increase because God was always looking for increase. He came back and he looked and he said, so what have you done with my five? I made another five, awesome. Woo, you're great. Two, you've made two. One, now I just hit it, whatever, and then. Yes, one minor, one minor, one minor, not a minor, the hat. A minor is the amount of money. Then he comes back, what does he wanna look for? Increase. So he's looking for increase. He wants to see that we take whatever he's given us and then we increase it, right? Amen. Man, this is an exciting time to be in the life in the church. We've been given stuff to do. God wants us to, be, to increase it. Wants us to be lavished. Not wealth, friends, so we lose the plot. But in terms of what God's called us to do, what's the mandate over this church? Mandate over this church, apostolic. We want to preach the gospel. So God wants to bless every single one of you because he's brought you into here and he's planted you here. And if you're in here, you're going to flourish. So if you're planted here and you're going to flourish, what's the mandate? The apostolic. So now he blesses you and he gives you a whole bunch of bucks, but you don't give it to the apostolic, you buy a home. 
in Nasna. You've just put the ceiling, you just put a block on whatever God's gonna do in your life and whatever you go after now with your home in Nasna is gonna come with sorrow. That's the Bible, friends. I'm trying to be as nice, as kind and everything. I'm trying to wrap it up so I don't have to preach on this again so I can get some smiley faces and some more people back again. <laughs> Amen. Shall we stand? There's so much more on finances I could talk about, but, and you know there's lots of scriptures. In fact, there's more scriptures on this than any other topic. But I want to wrap it up this week. I'll wrap it up today because I think you've got the, the heart of it. And, and actually, when we go and journey through the things of God, we will actually find out uh, for ourselves. God always wants us to go and sit down with the steak and the potatoes and eat it, not watch someone else's steak and potatoes. Ding. Somewhere the penny dropped. Who was that? That was very good. <laughs> Amen. So we're going to pray a short prayer because we're way over time. But I want to ask us as a church if we would take this seriously. I want to ask it. We would take this before the Lord. I would love to have got to Psalm 67. You can go study it or read it. It starts off with a prayer asking the Lord to bless, and it ends off with saying the Lord will bless. There's a declaration at the end. It starts off with a, I feel like God has positioned the church and all those that are in and game for it. He's positioning the church right now to bless. He wants to do a transaction that you have never experienced in your life before. And I wanna encourage you today and everything that I've been sharing is only for that. I believe this is a message of breakthrough. I don't believe this is a heavy message. I don't believe uh, on finances should be some kind of, oh, and this guy needs to shut up about money and whatever. The reality is, friends, money, people everywhere you're being spoken to about money. Your whole life is getting squashed in with money. And unless you can hear the word, somebody stand up and preach it. We can get drifted and we can go in a whole different, different directions. I believe right now that it's critical for the people of God to understand this, for them to walk in the fullness that God's got for them as individuals and as a church. There's a mandate over this church if we don't grab hold of it and walk in what God's called us to do, friends. This window just may pass us by. And it doesn't matter how one of us may do well or another one, this is about a community of people. The church's mandate's about a community of people. I promise you, I cannot fulfill the mandate of the church by myself. Neither can Damien or whoever. I was gonna start naming and then I thought, no, then I'm gonna leave someone out, no. <laughs> and then someone's like, what about me? And then you're all in, you're all in as a church. We can fulfill this mandate as a church, but we can also fulfill the mandate over our own personal lives. And uh, if we position ourselves right in this, God's gonna do amazing things. Whatever God's called you to do, you position yourself right in this, there'll be amazing finances for you to achieve that. Whatever God's called us as a church to achieve, because right now, if I can tell you as a church, there are more doors opening than we can actually handle. And every one of those is gonna take finances, and then every one of those is gonna take people. And I'm saying we can all put up our hands for that or we can sit here and go, oh, well, I don't have the finances right now and times are tough, whatever and that. And we can sit with that understanding. Whoever put out the chairs this morning, grow your faith, please. I was teasing. 
It went down. <laughs> Felt that in the spiritual realm. Somebody took that person here. Okay, don't take it personally. That you, sorry. Don't take it personally. That was just a comment. What I'm trying to say is that we can, we can step into all that God has for us. It's right now. It's there for us. We can begin to declare it. Then pray, oh God, will you do it? Psalm 67. We can actually begin to declare and we can begin to walk in it. Amen. And you can begin today as I pray right now. Your business can change. I love the prophetic words that were spoken over people, but I want to encourage every single one of you. God's not a respecter of persons. Any word that's spoken over any single person, you can grab it for your own. This Bible is yours as well. So whatever was spoken, it has to line up with a word. Otherwise, it's not, it was spoken out of cheese. And, and if it's the word, friends, it's also yours. So you can grab hold of anything. You don't have to say, well, nobody comes and points me out and speaks to me. The Bible is speaking to you. It's all yours. You can have it. Amen. So, Father, I just want to pray for every single one of us today. I know this has been a tough series. I know it's been uncomfortable. I can see that the seats have been worn down a little bit further as people are just, but I, I want to thank you, Lord God, that this is truth. And I want to just thank you today, Lord God, that even though it's been hard, and it's been hard on me, hard on all of us, Lord God, to hear truth sometimes, which is just cuts across what's being spoken out there or, or even what we're comfortable with. But at the end of the day, it sets us free. Do you know what the Bible means when it says freedom and liberty? Do you know that when the Bible sets us free and it talks about us being free, it's not talking about us giving us the ability to do anything, whatever we want. It's the ability to do what's right. That's freedom. Freedom is the ability to do what's right. I wanna speak freedom over the people of God today. I wanna to pray today, Lord God, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I wanna thank you, Lord God, as we know truth, the truth will set us free. <laughs> so I pray for freedom over the people of, the, of, of this congregation. I thank you, Father, no condemnation for any of us who are in Christ Jesus, but I just speak freedom. I thank you, I speak liberty, Lord God. I pray today, Lord God, that we would rise up as a congregation, as a group of people, as a community of people, and just get free in the area of finance. My cry is, Lord God, we wanna fulfill our mandate as 24-7 church. You've called us together for such a time as this. You've called us together as a community of people. We have an apostolic calling over our life, Father. You're kicking open doors like you can't believe right now, Lord God. It's just, it's just sometimes it freaks me out. It's just so amazing and so wonderful. But I wanna thank you, Lord God, that we as a congregation are putting up our hand for that. And we're saying, yes, Lord, even as you're beginning to open doors with our property, with this huge vision for our property, to be able to get people saved, to train people, to equip people, to enable them to, to uh, fulfill their mandate and, uh, and to bring the finances in, Lord God, to people's lives so they can do what God, you've called them to do. I pray today that today would be a change and a shift in the heavenlies, in the realm of the spirit, Lord God. I thank you that people would embrace whatever season they're in, if they're in a difficult or wilderness season, that they would embrace it and say, Lord, you're just preparing me for that time of abundance in my promised land. People that are in the promised land, Lord God, I thank you, Father, that you would just breathe on the work that they're doing, that they would just have such favor, increase, Lord God, in, in, in salaries, in job uh, uh, capacity, in, in um, uh, promotions. Uh, Lord, in every single area, we would just begin to be, be lavished, Lord. 
in the midst of that, do you just bring your surprises and your sovereignty, Lord God? Just bring deposits to come into our account from all different strange places, Lord. Bring people that I haven't seen for 50 years. Just come along, see my folks, and put money into the church bank account. Do whatever you want to do, Father, because that's your sovereignty as King of kings and Lord of lords. But I thank you, Father. As a people, we're going to put our hands up. And uh, we're going to let you lead us, Lord God. And Father, even though you lead us into places which are difficult, we will come out in the power of the Spirit. All the power that's needed to fulfill that which you have called us to do in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your people. Thank you for their diligence. Thank you, Father, as they've sat through this series. I pray today, Lord God, that you would take this series and you would multiply it, Father. Be such a blessing in our lives and in others and many others that would come and listen to it, Father. And be stirred up for the kingdom and your purposes. You want us to be prosperous, Lord, but it's for a purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.